irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to The Power of Love Show, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Welcome to The Power of Love, sponsored by the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation. We shine the light on loss and grief and how it impacts our lives. We believe that through The Power of Love, everything is possible with love on your side. I am T.J. Jackson, and with me I have both of my brothers, Taj and Terrell Jackson. How are you guys? What's going on? What's going on? Uh, how you guys doing today? I'm I'm feeling great today. You are seem you? like you're yeah. feeling great. I'm trying to. <laughs> are you trying to? Are you I'm trying, trying to uplift my energy for you guys. You know, yeah. for us or for the listeners. For the listeners and for def- my co-hosts. Oh wow! Energy is contagious, so I'm trying to bring Happiness it. Happiness is contagious too. Everything is contagious. How right. are you guys? Good. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a little today, tired, but I'm good. Tired. It's June 13th, 2018. Um, it's a wonderful day. Uh, it's nice weather in L.A., a little warm for me, but I'm not going to complain. It's been hot lately. It's been very warm. Um, but l- we have a, an amazing show lined up for us. We have um, a guest. I'm not going to introduce him just yet because first we've got to talk about what's going on in the world. Um, Taj and Terrell, let's, let's start with your weeks. Let's get that out of the way. Um, I know Terrell wants to go yeah. first. Yeah. It's a great yeah. announcement. Woo. Go ahead, Terrell. Um, baseball season came to an end. Yes, and uh, Bryce's team did did okay. Okay, the team that we beat actually advanced and went to the championship game, but they lost in the championship game. Okay, but the main Adrian's story team, is Adrian's team. Adrian's team. They actually we won the semifinal on Thursday, um, yeah. and then we had the championship game on Saturday, and, and we took it. it. We took it all away. As a coach, how does that feel? Because here's the thing. I know you guys were struggling in the beginning of the season, right? We were struggling. And the thing is, is um, I've... In the was first... it the coaching or was it the kids? Or <laughs> no, no, no. no. Well, let, here, I'll tell you what it is. In in the first couple years of ever playing baseball, you play T-ball, then you go up to double-A, mm-hmm. and then um, you go up to triple-A. So we're at the triple-A division right now. Up until triple-A, you can pick your coach. So all the kids that I started off with T-ball, those that continue to play, if they want to stay with me, they can. Most okay. of them choose two. Yep. So um, I've had these kids for the last two, three seasons, and sometimes in fall ball. So um, going, we w- this was the first year, like Adrian's age group, the AAA level is seven and eight-year-olds. Okay. So we were all seven. So this was our first year coming into AAA. So we were a young team. Wow. And I had five. We had to pick the teams. So I had to draft the players, and I was able to get five of them. So, um, you know, I, I lost a couple. One of the kids, you know, his father wanted to coach, so he was on another team. The other kid I couldn't get and so on and so forth. But I was able to keep five on my team. Okay. And there's only 11. So See. we had six new players on our team. And out of the 11 players, we only had three eight-year-olds. Whereas so you guys else, were a young team. We were, we were extremely young. So you're basically saying it was the coaching. The coaching that what? That coach and that won the championship. Well, my, my kids could play. <laughs> my kids could play, and they had heart. And and um, I think it was just getting getting used to the new the new field, and because it's a bigger field, and then also they had new teammates yeah. that were. I, I I gotta say, I saw um, the championship game. I saw another game earlier in the season, but you guys, your defense looked good. We didn't even play that well. You guys had I could and tell that's though because scary. you, that's you, what's you scary. had some pretty good ball players, but. Congratulations, Coach. Yeah, Jackson. so that was that was awesome for me. And Is we there had anything a team you said after. to them, like mid-season or anything, to 
like because because we we you know everyone heard about losing and this and that mm -hmm. did you have a, a pep talk or anything with because they're yeah. at a young age well what did, well, what did you tell them <laughs> well I, it, it became almost uh a thing during the whole year i would tell them that they're practicing sloppy you practice sloppy you play sloppy and i said uh you guys are too good to be sloppy so i won't allow you to be sloppy so um i just i just really made that i pushed them yeah i That's said good. you guys are too good to be sloppy and i don't even think they knew it and they believed it at the beginning because i told them you guys can win this thing if you want right but you got you got to work you got to work hard you know you're goofing around and you're you're being silly and you're doing all these things, which is fine. I understand your kids, but for this one hour, we only get the feel for an hour. We got to practice hard. So you got to make And then the we decision. can go back. Yeah. Do we want to play? Yes. Do we want to try to win? And I sat them down. I said, we can go either way. We can goof around and have fun, and, and I don't care that's, if that's what you guys want to do, or we can try to be the best we can be, and we could all improve. And they chose the second one, and, and I pushed them, well, and they answered, and I love the results. And, and I love it for my kids because they worked really hard all yeah. for the last three, four years. And I don't know if I'll be able to coach them again. And, yeah. and at least they got to experience being a champion. And that's, that was my whole goal. And then that's huge because I, w I was there as a spectator and as an uncle and brother. But it was really good because you could tell that was a, mem a moment that yes. I think everyone yes. will cherish and remember. You got to understand, life. my team is young. And not only were we young, we were small, so we were really you short. You guys looked too. very small. We were, that was, but yeah. we were making plays. Look, the ball was hit to the outfield. <laughs> we threw it to second, second through the third. We tagged them out. So we were making plays. They don't do that at that level. So. Yeah. Well, congratulations, man. Yeah, that felt yeah. good. So thanks, uh, Taj, and thanks, for, thanks both of you guys for coming. Yeah, of course, of course, yes. man. It worked out it well. It was so. early morning for me. Yeah, it worked <laughs> out well before my day part. got busy with the kids. <laughs> I was so going to say, perfect. 9 o'clock, sir. Taj, what do you got? Um, going on? Yeah, I had a baby reveal that I did on a, a video I sent to you guys. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Is it going to be revealed to the public as well? Yeah, yeah. We're thinking about it. When, okay. when did you announce announce that? Because I must have missed it. I didn't announce it. Pop, Papa T announced it on BBC. Uh, <laughs> did he really? Yeah. So Pop's... Pop, Pop, that's allowed. The, 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 the uncles were talking about new new babies. And it was like, well, Siggy's having this. And, uh, you know, and, and, and then... And, 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 that was um, Uncle Jackie. Uncle, yeah, and then Uncle Jermaine was talking about um, little Jermaine. Jermaine. Yeah. yeah. And Uncle Marlon was talking about, I think, Brand... Was it Brittany? Brand? Brittany. Brit yeah, Brittany having um, yeah. her her baby, and then um, Papa T's like, well, my daughter-in-law's four months or three months pregnant, three and a half months pregnant, and, uh, and they're yeah. like, oh, you know, like all that. Stuff. So it was just and he then, was excited. Oh, a hundred percent, he was, and that's you could see the joy in his face. But and oh, we never it was, it was televised. This is live TV oh. on BBC. On BBC. I yeah, don't know if it was BBC Radio. So, okay. Okay. So TV. Yeah. But what about the reveal? The general? Are we going to re reveal that anytime, or is that a private thing? Or no, it's not. It's not a private thing. I mean, the the baby thing wasn't private either. It was just that I'm I'm not one of those people that like flash stuff. But yeah. um, <laughs> it's one. You know, I'm super excited. You guys are excited for me as well, which I love. Yeah. You know, so I'm ex very excited we knew. for you. Oh. No, I almost, I almost revealed. Yeah, or maybe we should get off the topic. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. get off the topic because I'll probably reveal it within the next day or so. Well, cool. All right. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Tom. Welcome Thank to the you. club. Yeah, yes. welcome to the club. Thank you. Um, I'm nothing really excited. I don't think happened in my week. Um, but the one thing I do want to discuss is the the recent suicides, um, the mm -hmm. high profile suicides mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. um, I was looking at you to make sure I pronounced his name right. But you shouldn't um, have looked at me <laughs> it, when it has to do with, you know. Yeah. But, you know, and and I, I have to say first, it kind of leads into our guest. But what I have to say is I, I didn't 
it's, it's hard for me to talk about it because I can't really relate to it at all. I've never really felt like I've struggled with a serious bout of mental health. Um, and in these, in these character, in in uh, Spade and, and Bourdain's situation, it seems like life was going really well. It seemed like life was going mm-hmm. well from the outside. You know, I think uh, Spade just sold her company for you know either hundreds of millions or billions. So it wasn't a financial thing. And Bourdain has a very successful show on CNN, and he he seemed to be doing great professionally. But it just goes to show you, it's not all about money, and it's not all about quote unquote success in in the working world. And um, it's something that I, I'm happy we're ha- we, we have a guest on. Uh, his name is John Mabry from Addiction Campuses, and he's going to shine some light on on the mental health and and the stigma of it as well. And um, I'm really excited because this is a an area where I can admit, you know, as, as silly maybe it's not so silly, but I can freely admit I don't know much about it. I've never really was was dealt with it, like I said, and you know I never really saw any suicide type of. Mm-hmm. You know, close circles. Yeah. So, um, with that said, um, I think uh, you guys have any comments first on Spade and Bourdain? Um, well, I think the hard thing is, too, when you're a public figure, and not even saying public figure, like in whatever, but their public persona was different than what, probably what they were struggling internally for. And, and that is hard because you have one way that the public you, perceives you or your friends perceive you if you're not a public person. And then, you know, the way that you actually feel inside. And that's the, that's the, I think the disconnect is that, you know, there's times when you can feel really sad and low. Yeah. And no one else can understand that because they see you as bubbly or they see you as the, you know, the optimistic person. Right. Whatever. Right. But everyone goes through that. And, yeah. and so there is, I'm happy that it's shedding light on this situation yeah. i have some questions um that i could ask you guys but i might as well get john on because so yeah. he could chime in yes um, but let me, let me do a, an introduction a proper introduction as we do for our guests john mabry serves as director of public outreach and the and is the host of high sobriety podcast which is for addiction campuses he has a master's in counseling he's an inventor an impassioned philanthropist an award-winning speaker actor and stuntman with 13 years in the screen actors guild um, he's worked on NCIS, ER, um, Superbad the movie, um, got some great media attention from People Magazine, USA Today, Access Hollywood, but John struggled with addiction, depression, and PTSD for over a decade following a leg amputation from a fatal car accident. Things got significantly worse after he found his brother dead from a drug overdose in Beverly Hills. Uh, John went from parties at, at the Playboy Mansion with, with the great comedian Adam Sandler to living in a trailer on the banks of the Cumberland River in Tennessee after years of bouncing, bouncing in and out of treatment centers. Um, he went through one of Addiction Campus's treatment centers, and out of all the turmoil arose the opportunity for him to develop Addiction Campus's drug-free workplace training program and host of the High Sobriety Podcast. That's awesome. It's incredible. Um, today, Mabry is the, a national advocate for recovery and lives in Nashville, Tennessee, one of my favorite mm. cities. And his, with his wife of 13 years with their three children. Uh, John, are you with us on the phone? I am here. It is such an honor to be here with you guys. Thank uh, you so much for having me. Hey, John. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, man. And um, first of all, great, great bio or great intro um, I read off for you. I have to ask, what's your, what, what, what's your favorite invention that you invented? Uh, so I only have one. Okay. And uh, it's, a unique, it's a unique product. It, um, so 
so as an amputee, I lost my leg in a car accident. Uh, as a senior in college, just a, a traumatic freak accident, tire blew out in a friend's car, and we rolled uh, witness reports, say, between six and 12 times wow. across uh, I-45 outside of Houston, wow. um, returning back to school from a spring break trip. And so I had a unique perspective. Once I got in, into a prosthesis, I got into, into a prosthetic leg. I started trying to move around and, and uh, go back to my normal lifestyle or actually became more active, actually, afterwards. And I know sweat. Sweat was like this huge deal that the first prosthetic toe can be tracked back to like the ancient Egyptians, like 3000 years ago. And since then they've, nobody's been able to figure out how to manage sweat inside a prosthetic. And so I found a uh, technology or I found um, a product, a sock uh, that was already being developed for uh, high endurance athletes. And I turned it around and I put it on my stump one day and I worked out and it solved the problem. And so I went to the company and said, here's an idea. We can take your product, your technology, put it onto an amputee sock. And within a year, we had worldwide distribution on the most advanced moisture-managing amputee sock on the planet. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's so. amazing. That's amazing. Um, I, yeah. I, I, have to, I have to start with the, your story. Just, just you talking, Just I came up with so many different questions. My first question is, you were a senior in college when you lost your leg. Is that correct? Is that what you said? Correct. Yes. John, yeah, take me t- take me to that moment. I, I I assume you said from spring break you are living the life. You are young. You are free. You are happy, and then you lose your leg, and you probably tell me what your mental state goes to at that point. Yeah. So here's what's crazy is at at that point in time, I was a senior at a, a Baylor University in Texas, where my parents went, my aunt and uncles went, my cousins went, uh, my wife went there. And it just kind of it was kind of ingrained in the family. You go to Baylor. It was you know wasn't forced on me, but I was I was fortunate to get to go. It's a private you know Baptist university. There's, um, I mean, just so fortunate, and I was very uh, blessed. Yeah. And I, I get to my senior year, I had earned a full ride scholarship. I was um, I was communications major, and I was working as a videographer for the athletic video staff. And so they actually give you the same they you can earn the same scholarship the athletes get for doing video work wow. at wow. certain colleges. This was one of them, and so I, so my senior year, I got the same scholarship that the athletes got. I got mm. the I got to go through the same uh, advisors and counselors. I got the easy classes. <laughs> They're like, you definitely don't want to take classes. you don't want to take Spanish. You want to take Swahili. <laughs> and we're gonna put you in. And there's two Swahili teachers. We want to put you in with this one. This is the one we put all of our players. <laughs> in. I'm like, all right, sign me up, man. <laughs> so I'm walking around, and I'm, I'm traveling with the team to Notre Dame and all these, you know, big schools, and I'm, I'm feeling like an athlete. Um, and then I was, uh, I was dating a cheerleader who was our fraternity sweetheart. I was a social chairman of our fraternity. So I was, I was all over campus, you know, connecting our fraternity with other sororities and other groups and service projects. So I, it could not have been going any better. Life could not have been any easier. And my grades were good. And yes, I was drinking, doing the fraternity thing, but I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, completely right. addicted to anything at this point. And then tire blows out in a friend's car and everything changed. Wow. seven seconds of my life that just go in slow motion and still seem to be replaying in the, you know, mm. really deep parts of my, of my, of my brain, of my reptilian brain. They're still kind of like upturning uh, in there sometimes still, mm. it never really goes away from you, but to, 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 to fully describe it, it's hard. It's just, it's terrifying. And in those seven seconds, I told myself, I'm going to die right here. This is where uh, my life is going to end. And I waited for everything to just turn black. I was waiting for like, you know, color bars to come up, like, or everything to, you know, flash to black. Mm-hmm. And I, the car stops 
we rolled across the median, across the other side of the interstate into a field on the other side. The car stops. Everything just goes, you know, the, the silence was just deafening. And I thought the car was going to blow up. The very next thing is in movies, when cars roll 10 times, they mm-hmm. blow up. Mm-hmm. I got to get out. So I tried to stand up. And the car's upside down. And I, was, I saw my legs getting crushed. And so I saw it all happening. But I looked down at my foot to try to, when I tried to stand up, and my, my right foot was basically hanging on by some fibers. It's the best way to describe it. And so it was, it was flipped up and wrapped, it wrapped around. I could see the bottom of my foot as I tried to step down, which is essentially I was stepping onto my shin at that point. And we went to the car to just get away from that pain, that searing pain, wow. and crawled away as quick as I could. Mm. We ended up wow. going through. Uh, I crawled back in to get one of my friends out, and the car never did blow up. Um, however, we did lose uh, the driver. We lost my friend Ashley Furman who was 19 years old and she didn't do anything wrong. It was just a, a tire blow, blew out in her SUV and going, she had a crew set on 70 on a beautiful day. Nobody was drinking or driving. And so, um, we, we lost her on that day, March 11, 2000. And it sent me into, um, ultimately 14 surgeries in one year. Uh, so to go from man, living a high life in college, senior in college, I had a pretty easy life and a pretty, uh, pretty easy go at things. Uh, I was not prepared for, the you know the yeah. way my life got flipped upside down literally you know literally and figuratively yeah and so I, I didn't really know how to cope other than going back to how I learned to cope as a kid when thing when bad things happened I learned to be funny mm. I learned to be you know the class clown and it goes back to I usually don't say this till kind of sometimes later on in, in my story but I actually had some childhood trauma that I never knew that I had until I went through multiple rounds of treatment and tens and tens of thousands of dollars of rehab and thousands of hours of therapy and this trauma therapist I went to said, look, I don't care about your car accident. I don't care about your leg getting cut off or you losing your foot. And I don't even care about, um, you know, the fact that you found your brother dead from an overdose years later. What I care about is what happened to you as a kid. Mm. I was like, what are you talking about lady? You're crazy. I had a really great childhood. And she goes, I'm sure you did. Yeah, I'm sure it was just perfect. What happened? And what kind of, what came to mind, the only thing that came to mind was that these ear surgeries. I had six ear surgeries as a kid from ages like six to 15 Mm. I have a transplanted eardrum in one ear and the three prosthetic bone, uh, three bones in one ear are prosthetic bones. Come to find out, as a child, I always felt defective, broken, insecure, unfixable. There's something wrong with me that you don't know about, and I can't tell you because I don't even want to admit it that I'm broken inside. Mm. And they, the doctors can't fix me because I keep having to go back for more and more surgeries. And I'll tell you what, once she told me that and she described that to me, it was just, I mean, just opened up a whole new world of, of freedom. Yeah. Well, it, not freedom at first, but more work and, and therapy to work through that. But once I was able to kind of go back and rehash that and work through that, come to find out the car accident just, I mean, just skyrocketed what I already felt inside as a child. But I was able to manage and cover up for, for you know, a long period of time. Wow. And so now you put this robot leg on me. Now I'm a real freak. Now I'm really weird. I'm, now I'm really unfixable. I'm really broken. Give me some painkillers to help with the physical pain. Man, that helps ease the emotional pain as well. Mm-hmm. Kill two birds with one stone. And that's kind of how my my story got started with, uh, with, with the uh, prescription pills. Now, let me ask you a quick question. We're going to go back to... Uh, okay, I, I'm a father of... of Many kids, I should just say. Um, my brother, my brothers here are, are parents. I could say that about Taj now. It's kind of interesting. But um, that's something that I have to say I, I'm getting worried about because it seems, and, and I, I hope this doesn't come off wrong, it, it just seems like today either we're more isolated as a society 
or <laughs> I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it or really articulate. I don't know if it's because of social media. We're always presenting this perfect life when we're not perfect people. But it seems like kids, are, you know, it, and I again, I didn't go through this as a kid. I never felt like something was wrong with me. But how? It, where do we go as parents yes, to help? Yes. You know where I'm going, John. You bring so, up yes, yes. Please. You bring up a huge point. When I go to new talks around the country to to uh, students and colleges and high schools and even biz- businesses with our with addiction campuses uh, drug free workplace program, I go into businesses and just educate them on signs of addiction, not just maybe for them, but for their children or for their neighbor or mm. their you know somebody at their church or whatnot. And so, um, and I would like to say, if anybody is struggling with addiction right now, addiction campuses. We have a nationwide network of, of treatment centers, and you can call um, right now, 888-614-2251 for any mental health or substance abuse issue. Um, we'll say that number a few times throughout the throughout yeah, the show, so thank you for letting me plug that. Yep. Um, again, the number, 888-614-2251 to talk to a treatment specialist right now. Um, but, you, dude, you hit, the head, you hit the nail on the head. It's about – there's a theory, and if you pull up um, Rat Park Addiction video – Okay. So I'm not. There is scientific evidence to back this up. Some people uh, believe in some of it. Some people believe in all of it. Some people don't believe it at all. I am a firm believer in most of it. And what it describes is there was a scientist that did an experiment um, in the 70s, 60s, or 70s. Don't quote me on the dates. Yeah. But they put a rat inside of a cage all by itself. And when you put a rat inside of a cage by itself and you give it water or water laced with heroin or cocaine. Every single time, the rat in a cage by itself is going to go for the water laced with the drugs. Okay, mm. it's going to it's going to go for it compulsively, and it's going to die almost every single time. Mm. So the psychologist saw and looked at that and goes, "Well, look, he's by himself. He's isolated. He's alone. He's he's disconnected from the world around him." So they built Rat Park, and it's, it's this huge table that had all these rats, and they get like tunnels and balls, and it was like heaven for rats. Everything a rat about town would want, <laughs> and not they give them the same water options, same drinking options. Not one rat ever overdosed, and not one rat ever used the drug water compulsively. Wow. And it leads, pe- leads one to believe that maybe it's about connection or disconnection that, lead, that can be a, a leading cause for addiction. Yeah. That maybe it's not just the chemical hooks on the drugs. It's not just the genetics. But it's also like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm disconnected from the world around me, from my, from my peer group, from myself. And social media just fuels that. Because as you guys were talking about before I even came on, is, hey, yeah, I look, uh, you know, I want to post to make sure I look good online, look good on Instagram. I bet if I were to post half the time when I'm posting something of what I want everybody else to see, and I also post the picture of what I'm actually doing at the time, you know, you're going to see me, you know, with my foot propped up on the on the couch, sitting around going, here's what I want the world to go see, but here's what I'm actually doing. I'm actually sitting in this room by myself, and my kids are right over my shoulder. I'm not even talking to them. Mm-hmm. I'm isolating myself from them, and I'm in the same room with my own children, you know? So... It's scary. It's really scary. So the, the the importance of connection and the the importance of fighting against isolation. Obviously, especially with kids, teenagers love to isolate themselves. Um, you know, I, I I've went through it many times, and and I do everything I can to try to connect. But I think you you you're a hundred percent right. I actually agree with you. I think that I never heard about the rack part uh, experiment. I think it's fabulous. I think it's very powerful. I, I'm a believer in it. I haven't seen it, but from what you described, I think it's. <laughs> I think there's really power in numbers, you know, and power in community, and that's something that we've not only yes, experienced yes. here, but what our listeners have have 
raved about. You know, it's all everyone's got their little issues and everyone's got their struggles, but it's when there's they feel like they're they have a support system. They 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 seem yes. to be able to fight and 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 you know come fight better. So I I'm a, I'm a firm believer of that. Um, yeah, I mean that's why twelve step programs have been so successful. That's why you know treatment programs, addiction campuses, treatment facilities are so good. For people, they get people reconnected. They give you a chance to get the outside world away from you for a little bit, yeah. get the distractions away for a little bit, let you focus on yourself, and, and um, you know start the process of um, a road to recovery in a healthy way. So, okay, so let's let's um, go back to your story, John, where um, you lost your leg um, as a as a teen. Um, well, you were probably early twenties, right? You said twenty. Maybe? Young, yeah, twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, that's completely life changing. Um, what was that first year like? Was was your family there to support you? Was there anything that? What was your struggles? What what helped you out? What in, in case there's a listener that's going hold on, through? Hold a, on, before I, I, have, I have it's it's with that. Yes, uh, please. Because this might be an interesting thing too. Did you feel any guilt because you said one of your friends had passed during the accident? In terms of that, did you feel? Yeah, like, good why, question. Why you know, I really didn't, based on the situation, based on the fact that like none of us could have done anything differently. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, thankfully I never really, really took like survival, like, survivor's guilt. I, I never really felt much of that. It was good. just kind of, yeah. man, she didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Nobody, you know, if there was some alcohol or drugs involved in it, I'm sure there'd be you know major resentment that I'd be working with my 12 step sponsor on still. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was just it was just completely innocent. Okay. Uh, well, you know, you know what? I, I, I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. So I don't tell all audiences this, um, but the accident was part of Firestone Ford Explorer um, mm-hmm. debacle. Yeah, and you I guys remember. may be a little too young uh, no, to remember, remember but back remember in it. 2000, they recalled millions of Firestone tires because mm-hmm. tread was separating off the tires and making the Ford Explorers roll. I remember that. And the company knew about it for years. Yeah. So we were a part of that. We were one of the victims of that. Mm-hmm. class action lawsuit. Wow. So that added to my uh, lack of recovery, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. because uh, the day before I walked the stage to get my diploma from Baylor University after having my leg amputated six weeks before, um, I had well I had uh, 14 surgeries that year. I had great family support. I had great um, uh, support from um, you know people around me. I got back to school as soon as I could. I finished my schoolwork and I wanted to graduate. I had a job lined up. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, I've got this, I got this lawsuit thing that's going to come through. And you know what? The day before I graduated, I signed a multi-million dollar lawsuit. And you talk about feeling like an athlete before, like I said in my story, when I just got a one year scholarship, like the athletes got, Yeah. you signed me up for a, you signed a, a you know, a class action, you know, settlement from Firestone and Ford Explorer, you know, you're doing okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. It actually ended up serving me a lot worse than it did if I didn't sure. have it. Uh, sure. Let's just say that mm-hmm. didn't didn't turn out as uh, as pretty as one might think. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there there was that there was that additional struggle on top of that, yeah. but it allowed me to go as soon as so I graduated and I moved out to California to work on a master's in counseling, thinking I'm gonna go help other people. Um, subconsciously re- doing it so I didn't have to look at myself. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of people can uh, a lot of people in the healthcare industry, uh, nurses, uh, people who are in um, jobs that where they're there to help other people. If you're not helping yourself, please go get some counseling, go get some therapy, go get yoga, meditation, join the gym, whatever. Get a trainer, do what you got to do. Take care of you yeah. the best that you can. Then you're gonna be able to take care of the clients 
the people that you serve, the patients that you serve in a much better way. Um, but I went in to go serve other people, but it was really to like just avoid me. Yeah. And um, prescription, other prescription um, med- medications came into the picture. Once I got separated from all my support system in Texas, things kind of went downhill when I got out to Southern California. Yeah. Um, even though I, even though I looked good on everything, was looking good working with charities and, and helping raise money for kids with disabilities. Um, I just kept getting worse and worse. Yeah. Again, again, you would come, would you value isolation to, to play a big part in that? In your, yes, yes, yes. Because I, so yes, I mean, I'm, I'm in I bought a condo on mission Bay in Pacific beach and here I am in graduate school sitting in this condo. I, I can vividly remember sitting in this condo, one of the first nights I bought it, I'm sitting there by myself with this huge 65-inch screen TV, which they didn't even have back then. And I went and got one from whatever store. It's not even uh, Electronic Express or one of those out there. And I'm sitting in this living room completely alone. I don't even have electricity, but I felt like I was on top of the world because I got this condo where I can hear the ocean, and I got a big screen TV, and I was completely alone. And that pretty much summed up my emotional state for a long period of time, even though I got married, even though, um, I was, I was doing things in graduate school and, and working for a nonprofit. Ultimately it was, it was my, my soul, my spirit, my spirit was isolated. Yeah. yeah and, uh, powerful. you know, we, 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 we can feel connected online, feel connected on social media. And even in our church, you can show up on Sundays and Wednesdays and do your church thing, but you could still be isolated and alone, you know, spiritually and, and emotionally. And I think that's where um, a lot of people kind of fail to see that. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Yes, John. That's um, stuff we're here talking with John Mabry from Addiction Campuses. Um, John, we're going to go in and out of your story, but I, I, I want to make sure we understand what the hotline is. Um, the hotline for yeah. Addiction Campuses, is it, who is that for? If, if I'm struggling with um, what can I call? So any um, any addiction or mental health issue, if you're not sure where to go, you're this this is striking a chord with you. You feel emotionally or spiritually disconnected. You feel isolated or alone. If you want to find a twelve step meet, we'll we'll help find somebody a twelve step meeting in their area. We'll help somebody find a therapist in their area if we need to. Um, but we do have a network of um, treatment centers around the country that offer a full continuum of care from detox. Uh, down to our long-term aftercare program, um, which is a, a 12-month aftercare program where we have um, uh, representatives in our office calling and texting um, individuals on a regular basis, uh, daily sometimes, when they get out of treatment to make sure that they're um, you know, uh, su- well-supported when they leave our treatment centers. So we offer a whole continuum of care. So anybody struggling with any addiction or mental health issue, you're not sure where to go, where to turn, um, we're, we're going to take probably around 19,000 calls in our call center this month to give you an idea of the kind of volume we deal with. And, um, and we place people in treatment all across the country, not just in our own treatment centers. Um, and that number, please call right now, 888-614-2251. Again, or you can go to addictioncampuses.com or call 888-614-2251 to talk to a treatment specialist right now Beautiful. and, uh, and get the help that, that you're looking for. Beautiful. John, uh, this is Carol. I wanted to ask you a question. You've spoken a lot about therapy and all the hours um, that you've gone through therapy. I was wondering, when was the first time you went to therapy, if you don't mind sharing? And and, um, when did that all start? Yeah, great question. Uh, I've never been asked that question. That's a solid one, dude. Thank you for asking. 
First time I went was after my accident. I'm I'm sitting I'm laid up in the hospital for weeks on end and we're just we're trying to save my leg. We're taking they took one of my abdominal muscles out and attached it into the hole that I had in the foot and so I was in ICU for umpteen number of nights and so as I'm in the hospital my parents are like, Hey, you may want to go you may want to think about having you talk to somebody when you get done with this thing when you get out of the hospital and I was like, You know what, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. And so I was antidepressants might be something you may want to consider and I was like, You know what? And this might that might might make sense. So we went to a family friend, family friend, um, psychologist, and um, it was a start. But here's the problem is there's going to therapy and then there's going to therapy. Mm -hmm. So there's working out, you know, going and getting a workout in or there's going and getting a really good workout. Mm -hmm. So you can show up and, you know, lift a couple of, you know, five pound weights, go through the motion, you know, three reps and leave. And or you can go and do a full, you know. CrossFit workout or yeah. whatever, you, whatever your thing is. Yeah. And so I went into the therapy just going, I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to kind of roll through it. And that's all I knew to do. I didn't know how important it was to get really real. I didn't know how important it was to like really divulge what was really going on because mm-hmm. my whole life I had in my head put on the front that everything's okay because my ear surgeries, I always felt funky. I always felt different. I always felt ugly inside. So I always put up this front that everything was okay. And so when I went into therapy, I did the same thing. I wasn't honest. I wasn't real. I was just kind of surface level stuff. And I did that for years, years until I ended up, uh, you know, doing, doing the after graduate school, moving up to LA and, and doing acting and, and getting an agent and acting coaches and all that. And then next thing you know, I'm living in a trailer on the banks of the Cumberland river and outside of Nashville. Mm. And it was because I wasn't real. I wasn't getting honest. I wasn't getting on a, on a consistent basis. Yeah. So, highly encourage people if you're going to one seek help yes please seek help too got to be real and let people know your 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 deepest fears and your deepest thoughts and and that's where real healing comes in so john was it was it another low that that made the switch for you where you got real what was it that made you make the switch from being you know as you would say um just going through the motions going through the motions and and hiding what's (sighs) yeah yeah consequences consequences are a great thing like you know when you're going through it you don't want consequences you want life is to be as easy as possible. But if you're struggling in your job, if you're struggling in your relationships, your marriage, um, you know, whatever it is you may be going through, consequences can be good. They're driving factors to help you get more real and listen to those, listen to your gut. And so, you know, yeah, I had, I had, you know, I had some financial resources to pay for treatment. I had financial resources to put food on the table and pay the mortgage. But as those started to to dwindle with, you know, making poor the investment decisions while, you know, under the influence and buying pieces of property in Southern California, I should have bought at the top of the market uh, that I'm still paying for. Yeah. Um, you know, you finally get to a point where it's like, man, maybe I got to start, maybe I got, maybe my consequences are, are piling up a little more. I don't want to keep going down this road because next, next thing you know, I'm not going to have, you know, I'm not going to have a home to go back to. At least my wife would let me come home when I was living in the trailer. Uh, with a roommate named Beaver, by the way. Um, <laughs> at least I could leave Beaver during the day and go see my wife and kids, and I could come back and just sleep in the trailer. But she wasn't letting me stay at home. So, you know, consequences kept piling up, and that that, that was a, a big motiv- you know, motivation for me. Yeah, Interesting. Very, very, it's very interesting. Okay, so, um, John, I want to talk real quick, because I could talk to you for for a while, actually, but we're we're running shorter on time, and I want to just make sure I get to... Um, the day you found your brother um, who had passed in Beverly Hills from a drug overdose, correct? So, yeah. So, man, 
here's the thing. The drugs did not kill my brother. The drugs did not kill my brother. The drugs did not help uh, get me into treatment. It was the stigma. Mm-hmm. It's the stigma that explain that somebody like us explain. is dealing with addiction. So stigma. So if somebody has cancer, yeah, um, a, which is a chronic disease that gets worse over time if left untreated. If somebody has diabetes, if left untreated over time, gets worse and can kill you. If somebody has heart disease, same thing. If somebody has addiction, it's like shh, don't talk about it. They must have. They just don't have much willpower. And they just have a moral failing, and it's their fault. Well, you know what? If I have cancer, say I have skin cancer, it may be my fault that I sat in the sun way too long, you know, in my younger years, that, that skin, I have skin cancer now because of me. Okay, well, still, I need to go deal with it. Yeah. I need to go get treatment for it. I need to get medications for it. I need to go maybe join a support group because my hair's falling out from the chemo, and, I, and I'm, you know, distraught from it. Man, same thing with, with addiction, though. It's like we don't talk about it. We say it's their fault. We point the finger at them. And they're making bad decisions. They're the reason their job is lost and their, you know, uh, kids are, you know, not in their life anymore. Okay, yes, they made some bad decisions. Yes, I made bad, poor decisions. But ultimately, I needed to be able to feel safe to ask for help without being judged. Mm. And so many people don't feel safe to go, you know what, I'm going to need to step away from my job for 30 days and go get treatment at addiction campuses and talk to my employer about that and then see if I can come back and have my job. Because if you did what I did, you wait till you get fired. You wait, you wait till you get fired, and then mm. now the job's gone, and you're going to treatment anyway. Yeah. So you please, people, you, we gotta we gotta quit looking down on people who are struggling with addiction and lift them up to come out and ask for help. Yeah. And support them as communities. Help bring them meals. If you have a neighbor that's struggling, somebody struggling with addiction, go bring them a meal. Go say say, hey man, can we pray for you at church this week? Can we? What can we do? Can we? Can we? You know, whatever it is. With somebody with cancer, that's what communities do. They come and help people, you know, help the, the family struggling with cancer. With addiction, we, we've got to have the same thing, and it's possible. We can do that. And, and it's, it's I, I agree completely, John, because I feel like, and a lot of it, for me, when, when I know, I, I've gotten better over the years, but you, fa- you rewind 10 years ago, if, if I learned someone was going through something, and it's not that I don't want to help. It's just a lot of times I'm just speechless. I don't know how to help. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's just lately I've learned that just, you know, just being there and just having a normal conversation is is, is the first step, you know? So yeah. a lot of it is um, just, I, I think, I don't know, shy, being shy is the wrong word, but just, just I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it. You bring up a good point. I mean, no, that's a really good point of like because we we don't have the conversation enough that we're like, I don't, yeah, you know, yeah. back in nineteen in the nineteen eighties, if somebody had cancer and their hair was going to fall out from chemo, yeah, we wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, but like now mind we're your like, own business. Dude, I'm bringing you a casserole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think hey, that's what I, it is. I'm just going to drop. <laughs> I, I think that's what it is. I think we were like kind of. I don't want to say us in general, but I think our generation was kind of like mind your own business and you know don't. You know, yeah, don't interrupt yeah. other people's privacies, and and I think that's what it was. But I think you're a hundred percent right. I think today, you know, I think we're moving that way, and I think we can do a lot better. But I think we just got to be more connected. And and I, I love what you said. If you see someone who's struggling with anything, go ahead and take them something, and just open up a conversation. That, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, okay. I have drop another. Them a, drop a card off in their mailbox. So whatever. <laughs> okay. Question for you. Um, earlier in the in the show, you mentioned how you have mental episodes from the car crash still, um, where sometimes um, I assume it's not often, but every now and then you'll you'll replay that or revisit it. I don't know if you're familiar, John, but my brothers and I we lost our mother at a young age, and I still go through that. You know, where the, the day when I found out and actually hugging my uncle Jermaine and just that day that that difficult day in my life. 
what do you do to uh, to to help yourself with those episodes today? Is there anything you do? Is there do you just play them out? Do you is there any kind of approach you have? Man, so it goes back to the connection piece. Is uh, there's times when um, so there's times when I wake up still. And this is my car accident was 2000. And then I found my brother dead in 2008. So there's a big space between there. Here we are, 2008, 10 years later. Um, I still wake up every now and then screaming in the middle of the night. It doesn't happen very often, but there's times when I wake up screaming. My wife's like, everything's okay. Everything's okay. And sometimes I just need somebody to just tell me everything's okay. Yeah. You know? So I have found that um, through a 12-step, uh, sponsor, 12-step program sponsor, um, through being honest with my friends and the people around me, if something if something's bothering me, I can go to them and let them know what's going on. And so many times, all we just need to hear is just like that inner child inside of us that we all just want to hear that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. So it's kind of it's okay to feel that way. Um, yeah, and it, I guess it comes back to the connection piece is just not not going through it alone because it's easy. It's just like man, I don't I don't need to tell anybody that this is bothering me today. Right. When that could just be a catalyst for just a building, you know, snowballing into something you know way bigger down the road. Yeah, it's powerful. So it, it basically comes down to your support team. Yeah, you, you yeah. got to be able to yes. open up and be free and, mm-hmm. and have that support team that's ready to help you, you know. and So like in, in, in L.A., you know, when you're, when you're you know, pursuing acting out there or music, whatever you're doing, and you have, a, you have a publicist and you have a manager and you have an agent and you have a nutritionist and you have a travel agent and all these people supporting you, you can have that in your life today and not be a rock star. You can be a mother of three children, at a single mother at home with three children, and you can feel like a rock star because you have, you have built a support system around you of a pastor, a clergy member, family member, uh, you know, neighbors. Um, you can feel like more of a rock star than Taylor Swift right now if you choose to do that. And it starts with letting people know what's going on with you and, and making a conscious effort to make a human connection with those that, uh, that you trust. Wow. John, I have a question for you. Um when we lost our mother it was over the summer and we were, I was in college. Um, and I was, I wasn't in school when we lost her. I still remember going back to college, you know, the first day and feeling mm-hmm. different, you know, um, people went on trips, you know, you, you kind of get connected again with all your friends and everybody else. But this time I was going back to school and I lost my mother and it just felt different for me with everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, looking at me, I'm curious to know, did you feel any different going back to school after your car crash? Absolutely. Uh, my first time going back was for a fraternity event. And my parents drove me up from San Antonio. We lived three hours away in San Antonio. We drive, drive up to Waco, Texas. And I didn't get the memo that you're supposed to wear a navy blue uh, coat, navy blue suit for our fraternity picture. But I wanted to be in the fraternity picture. So I show up and I'm wearing a khaki suit. And I'm in a wheelchair. My leg is propped up. I have a brace. This is before my amputation, but I have a brace on it. And I got a brace on my other leg. I, I, I felt like a freak. And I was there. And I did it. And I still have that picture. And I stood out like a sore thumb. But I'll tell you what, I'm glad I did it anyway. Mm. Um, you know, even if you feel different going back into um, a situation in your life when you don't feel comfortable, go do it anyway. You know, I'm glad I did that because it was it was a step in the right direction. Yeah. You don't have to look perfect. You don't have to have the same coat on as everybody else. And you only have to be standing up to show up and just be you as you are broken and defective. And it's okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Wonderful that's, words. Yeah. Uh, another question for you, John depression. 
how how tough was that road for you? Did you struggle with depression? And if so, what did you do to, or what are you doing to help you with depression? Yeah, so that's huge, huge, huge question. Again, if somebody's struggling with with major or any level of depression, and you're not sure where to turn, you know, definitely pick up the phone and call one of our treatment specialists at addiction campuses. Okay. Uh, the number again, eight 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 six one four two two five one. Even if you're just struggling with minor level depression, that can turn into a whole lifelong, you know, debilitating uh, issue. So let us let's nip it in the bud now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I first started with uh, medications. It was first kind of like numb out, and then I then I learned over uh, over a decade of being on me- being medicated, highly medicated. Um, not just on drugs and prescri- prescri- not just alcohol and prescription pills, but, um, you know, legit stuff that I felt I needed. Um, I have learned in my process that uh, the Western medicine is not the end-all, be-all, mm. that a lot of it serves to put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. And so I finally started reaching out and trying new things that we do on our campuses, that addiction campuses that we offer. You don't have to do it, but you can. It's meditation, yoga. Um, just outdoor, you know, being outdoors, doing hiking. Uh, we have zipline courses, things like that to get people out of your head. We have cooking classes. So, you know, anything that's artistic in nature or where you're creating something and you're not sitting on your phone or sitting behind a, uh, you know, sitting behind a computer. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things that really help, help, you know, my energies flow a lot better when I'm out um, doing things like that. Yeah, as great. opposed to just just expecting a medication to fix me because that's not it's just putting a band-aid on it but as soon as i take the band-aid off so you remove that medication the issue is still there mm-hmm. well let me get out in nature a little bit more let me connect let me let me get in some meditation some prayer more so powerful um, those types of things I'm, i completely support that it's so powerful and and you know there's a lot of natural things you can do with just your time and yourself oh, yeah. that, that, that can really help. Essential oils. Yeah. Essential oils have been huge for me. Yeah. So I've gone from like 11 medications, the first treatment center I got out of, uh, to two. I'm on two medications you. now. Good for you. And uh, I supplement that with essential oils and diet and exercise and just a, you know, kind of common sense, yep. natural balance of life. Well <laughs> exercise, <done>. diet, <laughs> yeah. rest, and rest. Um, John, TJ mentioned it earlier. There was a couple suicides this week. And um, I don't really want to talk about their situation so much, but just suicide as a whole. Um, I, I I have to assume, or maybe I'm wrong on this, but we talked. You talked earlier about um, getting to a low point, and you having um, that's that's the point where you said I need therapy. I need I need to do more and really dig deep and do the work. I, I'm I'm thinking that maybe some people don't go you know make that turn to to get better. And some go the opposite way and get worse. And, you know, maybe that's how suicide. I, I really don't know too much about it. And I was wondering if you can just help and, and share some knowledge on that and how people get to such a, a dark place. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know if I'm the most qualified for that. I'll mm-hmm. just speak from my experience. Yeah. Uh, my experience would, would um, allow me to feel comfortable saying that I feel like I was so afraid of what my truth was or what what other people uh, would think of me if I shared my truth. What are other people going to, you know, like Anthony Bourdain or, you know, Kate Spade, like what is somebody going to really think of me if I shared my, my absolute truth? And their absolute truth is whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I think if we got to get to a point, it goes back to find a trusted advisor, a trusted person that you can – 
And for me, it wasn't sharing uh, all at once. It wasn't sharing the fact that I felt um, like a freak. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it was kind of like, I feel like a freak, and I'm walking around this world acting like I'm not a freak. And there's a discord there. There's a disconnect. And I'm like, and I want everybody to think I got everything put together. I don't know crap of what I'm doing, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if if you get to that level where you just, if you find a trusted advisor to just share that with, I found that it just, it eased the pain, or it eased the pressure. And it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in one session. It happened over a period of time of coming back to somebody that I trusted and kind of, you know, imagine carrying a big boulder over on your shoulder and you just, every time you go in and share with somebody, you share a little bit more and you feel safe going, okay, they didn't completely isolate and cut me out of their life or cut me off as a client, as a, as a patient, um, by me sharing that. And next thing you know, I started unloading a little bit of that boulder at a time mm-hmm. and that, that, you know, weight gets lighter and lighter. That's, um, that's so idea. I guess th- that would be my response to, a lot to that. It, a lot of it comes to acceptance and forgiveness yeah. and not judging so much. Yeah. Yeah. People. Yes. Yes. Um, all right, John. So, so before we close out the show, I want to first just talk about your podcast. The, or actually, I should say the addiction campuses podcast, high sobriety that Perfect. you yeah. co-host, right? Just give us a, a quick, yeah. maybe spend a minute just telling us what you guys do on the podcast and what kind of shows you've had and, and what, yeah, just just more about that. Yeah, so it's called High Sobriety. So one, I love the name that our mm-hmm. uh, that my team helped me come up with, and um, we have interviewed everybody from. Well, I've got three members of the band Corn. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had uh, a guy, Three Dog Night, Chuck Negron from Three Dog Night, who sang Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> we've had. Todd Harrell from uh, Three Doors Down. If you remember Three Doors Down, they were huge, yeah, you know, 90s, early 2000s. Um, he killed, He ran over and killed a guy here in Nashville, um, and he has spent his time in jail, and he's on the road to recovery and is sharing his story. Todd Harrell's an amazing individual. And we've had my trauma therapist. If you if you were dealing with trauma, and that's something, my trauma therapist, Dr. Lee Norton, who helped me understand I had childhood stuff. I didn't even know that was there. We've had her on. Um, we've had uh, uh, authors. And we've had uh, some of, some of our um, some of our team at addiction campuses talking about what they do within the treatment industry to help people get treatment, help people uh, find the help that they need. So a wide range uh, of folks. Uh, oh, even food addiction. We had uh, Sarah Roberts is a, is a food addiction specialist. Uh, we've had her on there. Right. So definitely a wide range of, of topics, and um, just I'm honored to, to be a host of that show. Great, nice. great. Okay, so John, one more quick question, and then. Um... One more quick question. You've went through a lot in life. You, it's obvious. It's apparent. You've went through more than what seems, you know, the average person goes through. How do you stay so optimistic, so upbeat? <laughs> I don't do it on my own. I do it with the help of, of uh, teams of people around me. When I say teams, I have like I have a prosthetic team that works on my prosthetic leg. If you look at my Instagram account at John Clint Mabry on Instagram. A couple of days ago, I have a picture of my prosthetic team that helps me get my leg done. I have a team at work that helps me accomplish the things that I get to do at work. Um, I have a team in recovery that helps me do recovery things, and I have my family. You know, I've got my wife, Sarah, and our three children, um, Larson, Austin, and Sawyer, my parents. And so it's all about um, – it's not about being looking good all the time or being good all the time. It's about being real yeah. and having that team around you to be able to go to them and say, hey, man, my leg sucks today. I need some help. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. Uh, I'm not doing well in my at work today. I'm kind of struggling getting these uh, things accomplished. Can you help me? And then at home, going, hey, I'm I'm struggling at home today. Can can we talk about it, honey? And so 
it's great it's support it's support it's it's a combination of support and you being open and vulnerable and being honest and authentic with where you're at in that moment yeah and for so hard to do so hard to do in this world it is very hard to do but that's the challenge for all our listeners who are struggling with something reach out to that loved one if there's a broken relationship fix it and and rely on it and and just we're all humans and we're all people and we all want the best for each other john um absolutely john before did you want to say something Josh? no okay um, we're, we have to close out the show. We went a little over, but before we do so, what we like to do is give our guests 30 seconds or so to say whatever it is. If you want to plug something, if you want to leave it with a quote, whatever you want to say, 30 seconds, around 30 seconds, um, go ahead and go. John. I should have given you some warning, so I apologize for that, but 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you man. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, no, I would just, oh, man, just, Guys, we're all in this thing together. We're all struggling with something, but there's also an amazing life of light and positive energy on the other side of, of the negativity and on the other side of the struggle that you're going through. The heart is a muscle, and it doesn't, it doesn't grow and get bigger and get uh, stronger without breaking first. With, you know, Muscle fibers break down before they get bigger and better. So know if your heart is broken right now, it's okay. It's okay. But reach out for help. Call Addiction Campuses. Right now, go to dictioncampuses.com or call us at 888-614-2251. We can help you out. There you awesome. have it. Well done. And he came up big yeah, with, yeah. without even a warning. Great yeah, job, John. Perfect. Great job. Well, John, <laughs> on behalf of my brothers, we want to just thank you for joining us on Power of Love. Uh, you, you, you know, you shout out some amazing knowledge and information for not only us, but all of our listeners. And we really want to thank you f- for doing that. Yeah, thanks, hey, John. thank you so much for the opportunity. God bless. Take care, Thank buddy. You. Take care. Take care. All right. All right. Thanks, John. Right. What a what a great yeah, great show. Incredible. Great guy. Yeah, incredible. Right. I, I just loved. Well, my takeaway was he's went through so much. Yeah. You know, but he. You know, and it, obviously it's a road to get there. If mm-hmm. we caught him right after, it may not be the same. But I think in, in to, to sum up the show, you know, dealing with the two big suicides that we know about. Um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I, and I love what he said about muscle fiber. You know, it's mm-hmm. very true. If you go to the gym right now and work out strong, you're going to be in pain tomorrow or the next day. You break first before you rebuild. So anyone who's going through a down moment, you know, you're just rebuilding. You know, life's going to get better. Life's going to get stronger for you um, tomorrow or maybe next week. Stay in it. Stay strong and, and utilize your support system. Utilize your family. Utilize your friends. Utilize your, your colleagues. Um, you're not in this alone. Uh, brothers, you guys want to say anything else before we close it? Covered it all. Okay. Birthday shoutouts. Yeah, three uh, very uh, I shouldn't say important, but three listeners. Yes, that um, Gigi, happy birthday! Happy birthday, happy birthday Gigi. Gigi! April, April, happy April. birthday! Wow, and Carol. Carol, wow! So three great well, supporters within, of within a couple of days apart. I love yes. it. Happy yeah. birthday happy to the birth- three. Must have been a good month. The three for- queens. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, you guys. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, cool. That was our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, again, a special shout out to Addiction Campuses, uh, John Mabry. Again, that phone number, he said it several times, but I got to say it again. It's 888-614-2251. If you're struggling with any type of addiction or struggling with anything, go ahead and give that number a call. Um, they will there to help you talk through you, talk to your situation just to help you. I just want to make sure you guys know you're not alone. My brothers want to make sure the same thing. We are not alone and we want to spread love 
And that's pretty much it. You we are will, loved. Yep. We, we will see you guys or talk to you guys next, next Wednesday, Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have a great rest of your week. Adios. Thank you for listening to The Power of Love. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. Support for our Power of Love radio show comes from a variety of generous donors, including supporters from institutions, individuals, and corporations through the D.D. Jackson Foundation. DDJF is a nonprofit 501c3 organization.